chapter 1. I'm only going to focus on verses 6 through 9. And then next week when I come back, I'll uh, start, I'll try to go through the rest of chapter 1 and part of chapter 2 and just sandwich that all in because I think Paul is addressing uh, some of the, uh, really just one subject there. But Galatians chapter 1, verses 6 through 9. Is everyone there? All right. They say amen. amen. All right. If you need a couple more seconds, say wait. All right. Everybody there. Verse 6. Paul writes, I marvel that you are turning away so soon from him who called you in the grace of Christ to a different gospel, which is not another, but there are some who trouble you and want to pervert the gospel of Christ. But even if we or an angel from heaven preach any other gospel to you than what we have preached to you, let him be accursed. As we have said before, so now I say again, if anyone preaches any other gospel to you than what we what you have received, let him be accursed. And now you want to use the topic, an unpleasant surprise. Let's pray. Father, we thank you today for um, all you have done for us. We pray, Lord, that you would sanctify us through your word because your word is truth. I pray that you would give us uh, wisdom and knowledge and understanding of your will. I pray that you would allow us to have our hearts shaped and molded by your word. Speak through me now by your spirit. And I pray that you would um, speak to each individual what they need to hear so that we could all be transformed into the image of your son. We thank you now for all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Often on the anniversary of someone's birth, family and friends gather to celebrate that person turning one year older. Sometimes it's a surprise. These family members and friends will quietly invite other people to a party's location and set up balloons and cake, all without the person knowing. After everything has been set up and everyone is in place, someone who has been designated will usually bring the, the birthday person in, and when they walk through the door, someone will hit the lights, and everyone will scream, surprise! All right. The person will usually be shocked and pleasantly surprised at all the people who has shown up to celebrate his or her birthday. But there are other times in our lives when we receive unpleasant surprises. Sometimes we go to our doctors and we hear, surprise, you have a terminal illness. Sometimes we go home from work and our spouse will tell us, surprise, I'm leaving. Sometimes we are packing up to leave work for the weekend and our boss will call us into the office and say, surprise, today is your last day. And actually, that happened to me <laughs> <laughs> about six months before my wedding. I was working for a healthcare company in the city, and I was packing up for the weekend. It was literally the week of Christmas. And I'm packing up, getting ready to go, and my supervisor called me and said, hey, I need to talk to you before you go in. And we go into, I go into his office, me and a couple other people, and they say, 
we have to lay some people off, and you are those people. <laughs> he didn't say it in just those words, but and I'm like, wow, the week of Christmas, six months before a wedding when I'm trying to pay for all of these bills. Okay. I got an unpleasant surprise. In the text before us today, the Apostle Paul is addressing an unpleasant surprise that he had as well. In the years AD 48 and 49, the Apostle Paul took his first missionary journey. So he leaves Antioch and he begins to travel around, spreading the gospel and converting people with the gospel of Jesus Christ. And then after that, he travels, he retraces his step back through the same cities on his way back to Antioch. And upon reaching Antioch, he gets a message. The message is that those that he had just shared the gospel with in Galatia, that had just turned to Jesus Christ, those same converts were now turning their back on Christ and receiving another gospel. It was an unpleasant surprise. After Paul had left Galatia, another group of missionaries had arrived. And they began to tell Paul, Paul's converts, a different gospel. And they, they were now accepting this different gospel, which was causing them to turn away from Christ and to turn to the Jewish law. This was an unpleasant surprise that led the Apostle Paul to pen the letter that we now know as the book of Galatians. He begins in verse 6 by expressing his astonishment at how quickly his converts were abandoning Christ. Again, he says, I marvel that you are so quickly turning away from him who called you in the grace of Jesus Christ to a different gospel. Sometimes, <laughs> I have to admit to this, sometimes I will sit and listen to conversations of members of the church sit quietly and I just over here you know I'm just flipping through but I'm just listening you know sometimes I'm I'm having having a conversation with one person but I'm hearing the conversation behind me as well okay <laughs> sometimes I do it just to to know what's going on with my members I, it, it guides me on things that I need to preach on but uh, sometimes I, I just want to know how, how effective am I? You know, uh, are they getting it? Do they, are they understanding what I've been, been teaching? Sometimes I have pleasant surprises. Sometimes I have unpleasant surprises. Sometimes I listen to some of the things that, that people say, and, and sometimes I say, well, you remember what Pastor said? And I'm like, what Pastor was they? <laughs> what Pastor are they talking about? I didn't say that. <laughs> I said the opposite. <laughs> right. Sometimes I get unpleasant surprises, and, and I, I wonder after 11 years, am I being effective? I think that I sometimes get small glimpses of how the Apostle Paul felt. After spending years trying to spread the gospel, traveling to this, this place of Galatia, um, and being received, even with an illness, probably malaria, they still received him, as Paul said, 
as Jesus Christ himself. So the Galatians were near and dear to Paul's heart. So to hear that his converts were defecting from Jesus Christ to a different gospel really struck to the core of who he was. It was an unpleasant surprise. So he begins by saying, I marvel, I'm astonished, I'm shocked at you. After spending so much time trying to teach you about the grace of Jesus Christ, I am shocked and surprised that you could not last so long. I'm certain that Paul has spent his time explaining the nature of sin to them and and their need for grace. I'm sure he explained how Jesus sacrificially had given himself on the cross, and that was Jesus's, and that was God's ultimate solution for reconciling mankind to himself. But then Paul had to move on to another city. He had other cities that he needed to reach for Christ. And after Paul had left, as I said, these other missionaries, they showed up. Now, these other missionaries were probably Jewish Christians who had come from Jerusalem. And they had accepted Jesus Christ, but they still had not embraced Paul's understanding of the gospel. And so they began to teach the Galatians another gospel. And now, (coughs) their argument would have been something like this. Most people think that the issue in Galatians is legalism. They believe that these Jewish Christians were teaching that a requirement for salvation is keeping the law. So that if you are living and obeying the law, that gives you the right to have a relationship with God. But I think that that misses the point. I don't think that that is what's going on uh, in the book of Galatians. I believe that they were teaching that you must begin a relationship with God by faith in Jesus Christ. But in order for you to become spiritually complete and stay in that relationship with Jesus Christ, you have to keep the law. Now, I want you to turn over really quickly to Galatians chapter 3. Why do I think that they were not teaching what we normally call works salvation, meaning that you have to you do good deeds in order to get saved? I don't think that that's what they were teaching. I think that they would have believed in salvation by grace, that God had to initiate this relationship with us, but that we then have to follow the law, be circumcised, keep the dietary laws, keep the feast in order to stay in that relationship. Listen to what Paul says to the Galatians in chapter 3. He says in verse 1, O foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you that you should not obey the truth, before whose eyes Jesus Christ was clearly portrayed among you as crucified? This only I want to learn from you. Did you receive the Spirit by the works of the law or by the hearing of faith? Are you so foolish, listen, having begun in the spirit, are you now being made perfect by the flesh? I think that we are seeing Paul 
giving us an understanding of what these Judaizers were saying. That you have to accept Jesus by, by faith. Jesus died for you. It's all by grace. You have to accept him by faith, but that's only the beginning of the story. If you want to continue in this relationship with Jesus, you have to keep the law. And their argument would have gone something like this. Abraham was a Gentile. God appears to Abraham, and Abraham puts his trust in God, Genesis chapter 15. After God appears to Abraham and he puts his trust in God, then God tells him he needs to be circumcised, Genesis 17. Okay, follow the order. He's a Gentile. He puts his faith in God. Then he has to get circumcised. Then the nation of Israel gets the Old Testament law, and they must keep the law. And if they break the law, you are either cut off from the nation or God kicked them out of the land because they would not keep his law. So now that Jesus come, we are the new Israel. Okay. And our requirement is to trust Jesus by faith. But just like Abraham, after you trust Jesus by faith, you have to get circumcised. You got to follow the dietary laws. You have to keep the Old Testament feast. You must keep the law if you want to stay in the relationship just like the nation of Israel did. And for many of these Galatians, the logic works. <laughs> I think that as far as the Old Testament goes, they were absolutely correct. Their order and understanding of the Old Testament nation of Israel is absolutely correct. What these Judaizers did not understand is the radical difference that Jesus makes. Now, remember when we went into go back to Galatians chapter 1. You can go back to Galatians chapter 1. Remember when we looked in Galatians uh, chapter 1 verse 4. Remember what Paul says. Well, look at verse 3. He says, Grace to you and peace from God the Father and our Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself for our sins that he might what? Deliver us from this present evil age according to the will of our God and Father, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. Now, I explained to you before that, that, that Paul sees a radical difference now that Jesus has come. He sees the world as being split into two different ages, the present evil age and the future age to come, God's kingdom. And Jesus is the central point of all of history. Jesus coming, his person as his, and his work, his death on the cross, divides the world between the present evil age and the age to come. And as Christians, we no longer live in this present evil age, spiritually speaking. We are now able to live in the age to come, even in the present. They did not understand the radical difference that Jesus makes. Jesus being God, 
Jesus being the sacrificial lamb, Jesus being the one who came to put an end to the present evil age and to inaugurate the future age, Jesus makes all the difference. Jesus being the ultimate sacrifice did away with all of the Old Testament sacrifices. Jesus being the perfect sacrifice that has had already been sacrificed for us, there's no need to continue in all of these worthless sacrifices because the blood of bulls and goats can't take away sin. But Jesus, in his work, put an end to our sins. Paul's understanding is different from the understanding of these Judaizers. The Judaizers thought that Jesus just came to to create a a new Israel. He came to create a, a new form of Judaism. And so all the same old rules apply. But Jesus, when he came, he fulfilled the law and put an end to it. These Judaizers Judaizers believed and taught that they had to add to their faith the works of the law, which would include circumcision, Jewish dietary laws, so sorry for us, no more crabs for us who live in Baltimore, (laughs) and, and also following Jewish feasts. So in essence, if the Galatians and if we wanted to become Christians, we would have to become Jews first. Paul was in shock that his converts were so quickly turning from his gospel of grace to this gospel of works. They were turning from the true gospel to an imitation gospel. Now, <laughs> being from Baltimore, I have to love crabs. Okay. Now, if you're from Baltimore and you don't like crabs, um, you were just born in the wrong city. Okay. <laughs> but uh, I, I, I love crabs, and I will have to say that um, I am an evangelist for crabs, okay? <laughs> so one day, uh, shortly after we had gotten married, uh, we went to visit uh, Janita's family in uh, Philadelphia, and her older sister took us out. She's like, oh, I know you're from Baltimore. I know you love crabs. I want to take you to get some crabs. I'm like, okay. <laughs> so w- we go in, we get some crabs, and and they bring the crabs, and they put them on the table, and, and immediately I'm like, they ain't got no Old Bay seasoning. <laughs> they ain't got no, <laughs> ain't got no. I mean, what's, oh, man, what's going to be, what's up with these crabs, right? So I, I try the crabs, and, and I'm like, you know, they, they okay, but, you know, they're not like crabs in Baltimore. You know, next time you come to Baltimore, we're going to take you to get some crabs, okay? So we take her, her older sister to get some crabs the, the, the first time she came to visit us in, in, in Baltimore, and... And literally, ever since then, she will drive from Philly <laughs> all the way to Baltimore just to buy crabs. Because when you taste the real thing, okay, <laughs> <laughs> you cannot settle for an imitation. I want to carry this illustration one step further. The difference between Baltimore crabs and Philadelphia crabs is, is, is 
not really what we're getting at here in the book of Galatians. What we are really comparing is Baltimore crabs and imitation crab meat. <laughs> Baltimore crabs and imitation crab meat. Now, imitation crab meat, it looks like crab meat. You know, it smells like crab meat. You can sprinkle some Old Bay season on it and it tastes like crab meat, but it's not crab meat. <laughs> it's not crab meat. Okay. And this is exactly what's going on with the Judaizers' gospel. Paul had, had given the Galatians the true gospel. He had really given them Baltimore crab meat. <laughs> but then the Judaizers showed up with imitation crab meat, and for some reason they could not tell the difference. No matter how well imitation crab meat is seasoned or processed, it will never compare to the real thing. Trust me, I know. <laughs> this is why Paul immediately says, I marvel that you are turning away so soon from him who called you in the grace of Christ to a different gospel, which is not really another gospel. But there are some who trouble you, and they want to pervert the gospel of Jesus Christ. Those Jewish Christian missionaries were advertising the true gospel, but they were actually selling imitation gospel meat. <laughs> they were advertising the real gospel, but they were actually selling imitation gospel meat. Paul accuses them in verse 6 of preaching a different gospel, and in verse 7 he um, accuses them of preaching a perverted gospel. So how were they perverting the gospel? <clears throat> they were perverting the gospel by teaching us as Gentiles who wanted to be saved that if we wanted to have a relationship with God, we must enter by faith. But if you want to mature in your relationship with God and remain in your relationship with God, you must do so by keeping the law. Now, I don't know about any of you, but I can't keep the law. Like most of you, have, I, I've gone through that phase of thinking that I could keep all of God's commands and, and I, if I could check them off, check off the list. <laughs> but at the end of the day, we all know the truth. That when we try to keep God's law, we are all being hypocrites. <laughs> we put on the good face and, yeah, I'm doing a great job. And look, I'm following the whole Bible reading plan. I've already finished Genesis and Matthew and, and Luke. I'm in the book of Mark, just like Pastor said. And knowing y'all spent all yesterday reading the whole thing. I'm going to catch up. So if he asked me, I'm like, yeah, I read all of it. <laughs> We, we can't keep the law. When we try to keep the law, we find ourselves, like Paul did in Romans chapter 7, at the end of our wits, begging for someone to help us. Oh, wretched man that I am, 
who can deliver me from the body of this death? We cannot in any way add our polluted works to the works of Jesus Christ. Jesus' works, just like his person, are perfect. They are sufficient for us to rest in for our salvation eternally and presently and in the future. When we try to follow the law, we will quickly find out how well we are doing spiritually. (laughs) We will quickly find out how well we're doing spiritually. Now, Paul is trying to teach us, as he has probably taught the Galatians, that we don't have to keep the law to get into a relationship with God, to stay in a relationship with God, or to please God at all. I want us to look really quickly at Romans chapter 8. Many of you know that that uh, Galatians and Romans parallel a lot of the same material, right? Um, uh, I I, I say that uh, Galatians is uh, Paul's uh, quick and dirty version of the gospel, all right? Uh, He's angry, he's upset, so he's like, got to write real fast, okay? And then he calms down a little bit, and he's like, all right, let me write the full thing, and then he writes Romans, (laughs) okay? Okay. Listen to what he says in Romans chapter 8. Romans chapter 8, verse 1, he says, There is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. Now, remember in Romans chapter 7, he has just realized that even when he tries to do what is good, evil is always present with him. He realizes as he tries to keep God's laws, he says, I can keep God's laws with my mind, but with my body I serve the law of sin. Oh, wretched man that I am, being this hypocrite, (laughs) who can deliver me? He comes to the conclusion in chapter 8, verse 1, that even though I fail, even though I'm a sinner, there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. I sin and I fail. I fall short of God's glory. But I'm never, still never in danger of hell. There's no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus, who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. For the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus has made me free from the law of sin and death. For what the law could not do, what the law could not do, in that it was weak through the flesh, God did by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh. And on account of sin, he condemned sin in the flesh. Why? That the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. Now, remember Paul has this, diff- this understanding, this distinction between the present evil age and the future age to come. The present evil age is ruled by the law. The future age to come is ruled by the spirit. Now, 
if you live according to the law, Paul says, you must die. Right? He says that the law could not give you what you need. The law can't give you eternal life. The law can't make you righteous. Not because there's a problem with the law. We go to the beginning of Romans chapter 7. The law is perfect and righteous and good. You're a scoundrel. scoundrel. (laughs) It's you. The law is weak because of your flesh. So even though the law is perfect and righteous and good, you are a sinner. You can't keep God's law. So what did God do? He sent his son, and his son condemned sin in the flesh so that by the Spirit, God's righteous requirement is fulfilled in you even though you still sin. It's fulfilled in you. That means you're passive. God is the one doing the work. His righteousness, his life, it is fulfilled in you. God has done the work. You have done nothing except contribute the sin that, needed to be, that you needed to be saved from. Paul is trying to help us to understand that we can contribute nothing to getting into a relationship with God pleasing God while in this relationship or doing anything to stay in this relationship. You got into this relationship by grace. You please God by faith and you stay in this relationship by grace. Now, again, I want to put an asterisk, okay, and tell you to see my whole series on the book of James. And I'm going to leave it at that. (laughs) Okay. You get in by grace. You please God by faith. And you stay in this relationship by grace. Asterisk. Okay. Make sure you have works. But your works don't get you saved. Okay. Your works don't keep you saved. But you better have works. (laughs) Okay. So, as we will see throughout the book of Galatians, Nothing can be added to your faith in Christ. Nothing can be added to your faith in Christ. As a matter of fact, I want you to write down this mathematical equation. Let's write it down. Get out your pen. Write this down. You ready? Okay. Jesus equals life. Jesus equals life. And by that I mean eternal life. Okay. Second equation. Jesus plus X. Okay. And I'm taking y'all back to sixth grade pre-algebra. <laughs> Jesus plus X equals, and then put your question mark. Now, what's the answer? Jesus plus X and add X can be the law, your good deeds, or anything. What does what what Jesus plus X equal? 
Okay, plus Jesus plus X equals life. Okay, accepting Christ equals life. What is it equal? They're like, this is Sunday. This is not Bible study. You're not supposed to ask us no questions. <laughs> Jesus plus X equals what? I said X is the law, your good works, anything, whatever you want it to be. Jesus plus X equals what? Salvation. Okay, this is the answer. Jesus plus X equals zero. Equals nothing. It, it equals death. You can't add nothing to Jesus. Paul, as we will see, he says, if you are circumcised, Christ profits you nothing. You have fallen from grace. <laughs> you ain't do good in pre-algebra, did you? Not just <laughs> X equals for the Galatians, the law. So Jesus plus the law. Let's put that in. Jesus plus the law. There you go. Equals nothing. Equals zero. You cannot add anything to a perfect sacrifice. You cannot add anything to a perfect sacrifice. When we add our polluted works <laughs> to Jesus' perfect works, we nullify the grace of God. And we'll see that as we work our way through the book of Galatians. As I come to a close on this, we have to ask ourselves two questions. How serious is this distinction? Is Paul causing a panic for his readers for no reason? In elementary school, <laughs> one thing I remember is routinely doing fire drills. So we would... Uh, the fire alarm would go off, and we would have to quickly get up and get in line, and we would go outside. They would have muster stations for us to go to, and, and then our teacher would take attendance and make sure that everyone is out of the building. And after doing that several times, you realize, that ain't no real fire. So the alarm goes off, and we would then just talk, take our time, like, oh, I'm getting in line. I get in line when I'm in line taking our slow little time to get in line and get ready. And then someone would come across the intercom system. This is not a drill. Get out of the building. This is not a drill. It was, oh, it's, it's serious. We got to get out of here. <laughs> right. Now, it really was still a drill. <laughs> okay. But the warning came to teach us how serious this issue is. And I believe that this is exactly what Paul is doing for us in verses 8 and 9. 
Paul is giving us a warning, letting us know, people, this is not a drill. This is a very serious issue. You are being drawn away from the grace that comes from Jesus Christ, and you are turning to a different gospel that depends solely on yourself. This is not a drill. He says in verse 8, But even if we or an angel from heaven preach any other gospel to you than what we have preached to you, let him be accursed. As we have said before, so now I say again, if anyone preaches any other gospel to you than what you have received, let him be accursed. Now, how sobering is that? That Paul would say that anyone who preaches a different gospel, a perverted gospel, any gospel different from what I have preached to you, I pray that God damns them to hell. That's not a curse word. <laughs> She's like, <laughs> she like, oh. <laughs> and, and immediately the Galatians like, whoa, wait, is, is that serious? Is it, is it that serious? You mean if, if I get circumcised, if I follow Old Testament dietary laws, if I follow these Old Testament fe Jewish feasts, if I follow the Old Testament law and add that to Jesus Christ, is it that serious that someone who preaches a gospel like that should go to hell? And Paul says, I'm going to tell you how serious it is. I'm going to repeat it in verse 9. <laughs> okay. I said it before. I'm going to say it again. Anyone who preaches a different gospel, I pray that they are accursed, that they go to hell. Paul does not care about the status of the individual. Sometimes we think that because someone is preaching or teaching on television or on radio, that this person has written a lot of books or that this person is, is speaking at conferences all over the world, that automatically what they say must be believed. Paul says, I don't care if they're an angel from heaven or one of the apostles. If they teach you a different gospel, I pray they go to hell. Sometimes we think that, you know, Paul is exaggerating on some of these things. Sometimes I'm like, mm, I don't know, Paul. Who, who would really believe that? But every now and then God allows me to have experiences to help me realize, no, th these things are very serious. Just two weeks ago, I was talking to someone, and they said, an angel appeared to me, and, and they were telling me what, what, what the angel told them. And I'm like, you... You, you do know that that contradicts what the Bible teaches. And, and so we're having this conversation, and, and, and as, I'm, as I'm listening to the person, I'm like, I'm taking them to the verses, but that contradicts this, and, and th that contradicts this. And, and I'm like, so let me ask you a question. <laughs> Where's the checks and balance on what you said? How do you know 
what you're saying is true. Well, I talk to people and, and they confirm what I said. I say, right, but you came to me and you asked me, do I agree? And I'm saying I don't agree. So how, how do we know which one of us is, is right? And you're like, well, your opinion don't matter. I said, oh, I, it doesn't. I said, but God's word matters. And looked me right in the eye and said, God's word is irrelevant. The Bible is just temporary. The Bible doesn't, God didn't say that he would place his Bible in our hearts. He said he would place his spirit in our hearts. So when the spirit speaks to me, that's what I have to follow. If an angel, (laughs) if an angel from heaven (laughs) appears to you, or one of the apostles tell you a different gospel, let him be accursed. These topics that we are discussing are not just a matter of life and death. These are matters of eternal life and death. And Paul is trying to wake up his his readers, and he wants us to wake up as well to recognize your works can never be good enough. (laughs) Your works can never be good enough. By the works of the law, no flesh will be justified. The only thing we can do is put our entire faith and trust in the finished work of Jesus Christ. Only he is worthy. Only he is good enough. Only his works are good enough for us to stand in the presence of a holy God. So in conclusion, y'all like, ooh. In conclusion, what I want us to keep in mind as we work our way through the book of Galatians, is that we are not examining Paul's viewpoint on a conflict from 2,000 years ago. (laughs) What we are really examining is the real nature of the gospel. That's what we're examining in, in in the book of Galatians. We're examining the nature of the gospel. And we repeatedly come back to this idea that that our relationship with God is founded on his grace and his grace alone. And what my prayer is as we examine uh, the nature of grace and, 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 and the gospel is we will repeatedly come to the idea that our good works can mean absolutely nothing in the presence of a holy God. The only thing that will cause us to stand in his presence is Jesus Christ. Jesus' finished work for us. And when we put our faith and trust in the finished work of Jesus Christ, We are, in a sense, clothed in his righteousness so that when we stand before God, even though we are still sinners, 
God will say, not guilty. Let's pray. Father, we thank you today for allowing us again to be able to read your word. I pray, Lord, that you will help us to, as we examine our, the book of Galatians, we'll uh, walk our way through several things that are very difficult and nuanced. But I pray that you will help us not to think that these differences are insignificant. One of these viewpoints will take us straight to heaven in your glorious presence. And one of these viewpoints will leave us in our sin to stand before you in our own righteousness. And the only thing that will happen after that is that we will experience your wrath for all eternity. I pray, Lord, that you will help us not to diminish your finished work on the cross in any way by thinking that we can add our good works to what you have done. Help us not to rest in ourselves, but help us to rest in you, knowing that your work is perfect and that we stand complete and righteous in you. And even though we sin and even though we fail, you have paid the debt for us, and we can rest in that. I pray, Lord, as we work our way through Galatians, that you will help us to see the role of the Spirit in our lives. We don't have to depend on our own good works through the law, but you have supplied your Spirit to us, and you are working in and through us every single day by your Spirit to bring us where you want us to be. So I pray that you would teach us not to, to trust in the law, but help us, as Paul will say in Galatians chapter 5, help us to live in the Spirit, to walk in the Spirit. Help us to be led by the Spirit. And as you lead us, I pray, Lord, that you would help us every single day to long to see the one who died for us. We thank you now for all these things. In the precious name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. 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 Let me...